In this episode, we continue to look at the DSM and the polyvagal theory, this time with generalized anxiety disorder. Could anxiety be the flight, sympathetic arousal of the polyvagal theory? My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists and your fellow trauma nerds, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to episode 45 of the Polyvagal Podcast. If you're one of the super fans, stick around after the main topic. We've got announcements and a letter from one of your fellow super fans. But before we get started, we want to remind you to put yourself first. We keep every episode as safe as we can, but just by the nature of the topics, you might experience something come up for yourself. Take a break if you need to and come back when you're ready. As we get started here talking about um, generalized anxiety disorder and the polyvagal theory, we want to make sure that you understand that this information is not meant to diagnose. Even though Justin and I are therapists, we are not your therapists, so we cannot diagnose you through this podcast. If you feel like you may be experiencing symptoms of anxiety, consult with a mental health or medical professional. We are speaking in generalities. Your specific situation, diagnosis, treatment, and medication are entirely between you and your provider. These are the criteria for generalized anxiety disorder as identified in the DSM-5. The first one is excessive anxiety and worry. It can also be apprehensive expectation, which occurs more days than not for at least six months about a number of different events or activities, things that can include work or school performance, for example. I think the first thing to understand is that anxiety is pretty general. It doesn't need to be about a specific thing. It can be about the future. It can be about the present moment or something that we think is happening in the present moment. Maybe not like we're actually grounded in the present moment, but you know, there's someone thinking something about us somewhere, you know, somewhere Mm -hmm. else. Right. Right. I think it can also be about the past, really ruminating on something that happened in the past, something that someone said earlier that day. But I think, so I think anxiety is very, can be very general. This, the feeling I think we all know about, like it's pretty specific, but in general, the feeling can be applied to so many different things and be caused by so many different things. Worry is well, uh, interrupting. Well, I think that's okay. why it's called generalized anxiety and I'm not trying to be smart about it, but it really is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't laugh. Yes. I'm, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck about it, but it is generalized. It is kind of worrying about everything. Yeah. Well, so the second part here is worry. It says worry in particular, uh, worrying about a, sp- I think worry is about a specific future thing, more or less, that we are worried about the test coming up or the job interview or wh- whatever it is, right? So let's bring this to the polyvagal theory. In sympathetic arousal, we have the energy to survive, right? We're dropping down from our safe and social state into the first stop, which is the flight behaviors of sympathetic arousal. So there's flight and flight, flight and fight, sorry. But the first stop from safe and social is flight. So we have that sympathetic charge. Our our engine has gotten going, is now going, not gotten going, is now going. (laughs) We have the energy to survive. Our body is detecting that there is some sort of danger in the environment, neurocepting that there's danger. So it drops down, energy, the motor gets going, and now we have unlocked some abilities to survive specifically with anxiety. I'm sorry, specifically with the flight energy. It's about our legs and running, right? 
Can it be, can the flight energy be, because I think of anxiety as almost trying to escape a situation. Yeah, totally. And so obviously we're not always literally running, but can it be um, an emotional movement? I don't know if that's the right word, but, a, a, you know, an internal a feeling of moving away or wanting to move away. I think the wanting to, yeah. I think okay. that's, that's the key. Like your body feels this need to back up. To, mm-hmm. to get space. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, we don't have to actually run. Right. Uh, but it's we, that feeling of, of moving away. Yeah, of, of like there's danger out there somewhere and I have to get away from it. But with anxiety, we can't pinpoint actual danger. Our body is just in that state of, of danger. In the diagnostic criteria here, it says excessive anxiety and worry. Excessive. So there's no... If there's no direct threat to our safety... That, that energy, the sympathetic flight energy kind of lingers. And then we place it, our, we, we remember story follows state. So our, our brain places it onto things that maybe don't even re- require that level of energy, but it's attempting to figure out, I, your, your body has shifted into a flight place. Your brain's attempting to figure out what the heck is going on in this state. I've shifted states, right? Why? And so it attempts to explain the state shift. And so it will think about the thing that happened earlier in the day or the thing that's coming up and fixate on that. And I think that makes a lot of sense because when we are actually in danger, we're pretty fixated on the thing that we're trying to get away from, right? I I think we can tend to fixate on one thing as the identified danger, like that's why I feel this way. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's true that we... I don't know, do you, what do you think? Do, if we're in like more of a sympathetic flight place, can we identify numerous things as dangerous? I think so, but I imagine that we would identify them as the same type of dangerous. So, for example, the tiger and the lion and the cheetah are all going to eat me. But in the so in day to day living, the teacher is a danger to me. My peers are danger to me. The teacher hates me. The other kids hate me. That's why they're all staring at me and making faces. I, I think I think it's one cue that we're reading, but I think we can read it from multiple places. So uh, to build on that, I think that the from what I understand is the flight energy, it's more about someone's a danger to me. And the fight energy is they're a danger to me and I'm going after them, you know? Right. But the flight energy is they're a danger to me and I want to back away from them. And with the shutdown, lack of energy, it's they're a danger to me and I want to hide. That's kind of the way I, I conceptualize these things. Yeah. Or not just hide, but like kind of ball up and hide, you know, disappear. I want to be invisible. Yeah. Well, and going back to the previous point, I think that's what makes sense to me about anxiety and specifically what we're talking about today, generalized anxiety. Because when we experience this danger cue from multiple sources, I, I think that's the generalized piece. And that's what makes it feel yeah. so overwhelming is that all of these different entities feel dangerous in the same way. And that feels excessively Mm. frightening. But once we start to really focus in on a certain cue of danger, like heights or spiders or crowds, that maybe that is where the generalized or the gets lost. And it really becomes more about this specific thing and maybe turns into a phobia even at the extremes. Yeah, true. But then I think, I mean, if we're going into that line of thinking, then we're talking about a different DSM diagnosis. Then it's no longer generalized anxiety. It's something else. When we're in our safe and social state, 
we simply do not have out of control anxiety. Like when we're up there, we can feel anxiety, but it's tolerable. We, it's noticeable and it signals that something needs to change like in a relationship or maybe there's something we have to prepare for like a test or a job interview, like I said before. So when we're in a safe and social state enough and we kind of exist, exist in there more than a defensive state, I think, we can feel anxiety and we recognize that it is, it just signals that there is a, a danger. Now, taking a test is not actually danger, but day to day, that's our perception of it, right? Or like a job interview or, or whatever, whatever the thing. Is that you quoting me? Yeah. Is that because I say that? That's you say it all the time. So from our safe and social state, I think anxiety can more likely be accurate and, and send us a message. Like that feeling of anxiety is a message about something that needs to be taken care of or, or actual danger, maybe. So even, even day to day, like even if it's not actual danger, a, you know, talking to your boss is not necessarily actual danger, but it's neurocepted as danger day to day. Like it's not your, your physical safety is not in danger. But there are things that we're going to neurocept, like just just the fact that we're talking to someone who has more status than us, that might be a danger in and of itself. The next criteria for generalized anxiety disorder, as identified by the DSM-5, is that the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. I think anyone who has any any sort of anxiety stuff going on is going to be like, yeah, no kidding. It's (laughs) it's very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. It can be very, very difficult to ground yourself. Um, to be in the moment, to be in the present moment, like, like your body is prepared to run. It doesn't want to be in the present moment. It wants to get to safety. So asking people to like sit with their feelings is, it sounds like probably nonsense, right? Of course, the person's going to find it difficult to control the worry. It's interesting that that's, that's the criteria. The, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. Yeah. It's difficult to control the worry, the thoughts. Because it's not a thought issue. It's not about what you're worrying about. It's a state issue. It's a polyvagal state issue. It's a, it's the issue is that your body's preparing to run away, in my opinion. And not it's not just the thoughts. It's not just the worry or the feelings. It's the whole state underneath all of that stuff. Well, and it goes back to what we were saying, what you were saying before about it if you were in a safe and social state, it would be an accurate response to the environment. So in a safe and social state there wouldn't be a need to control the thought because yeah you're responding to the environment and then you go back to what you need to do whereas with the anxiety and in assuming that we're in a defensive state there's that energy the the flight energy that you know it feels like you can't get away i want to um let's, let's clarify real quick that we're talking in things about things in pretty general terms mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it's I think we're more likely to be able to handle and notice and then direct our thoughts toward the source of our anxiety from a safe and social state. If we drop down, we're able to notice that and you know, and really kind of direct it toward the source of the issue. I think you're more likely to, but we're talking in pretty general terms. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but in general, I think it, that seems to hold true. So does, does part two here that the individual finds it difficult to control the worry, does that line up with the polyvagal theory? I think so because it's yeah. If you if you just focus on the thoughts, it's extremely difficult. It's the state underneath it. It's that polyvagal flight um, energy. 
So next up on the list of criteria from the DSM-5 is that the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms, with at least some of the symptoms having been present for more days than not for the past six months. Number one, restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge. Number two, being easily fatigued. Number three, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank. Four, irritability. Five is muscle tension. And six is sleep disturbance, such as difficulty falling or staying asleep or restless, unsatisfying sleep. Let's go into each of these uh, one at a time, starting with restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge. I thought it was interesting that it says keyed up. Like, what does that, what does that mean? Why is that That's in the like, DSM? wound up. I get it, but know? it's just, it's interesting they use that terminology. <laughs> it's a phrase. It just threw me off. Is it? I guess so. Yeah. Right. Keyed up. Um, I, th- I think what this is referring to is that there is some energy within you that needs to be discharged or used. Now, we know when it comes to the flight sympathetic behavior that it's within us in order to survive and that it's supposed to be used all at once. We're supposed to run to safety and use up all that energy and climb back up the ladder and be safe and be okay, right? But we know also that we can get stuck in these defensive states. So if that energy is stuck within you, if you don't actually discharge it and use it, yeah, I can see why someone might be keyed up day in, day out. Like they're they're amped up, they're ready to go, they're ready to flee. When Justin and I do presentations at work on the polyvagal theory, we we try and engage the audience with different media and show the videos and stuff. And one of the things that we do is the experiment that they are not allowed to laugh during a video of uncomfortable situations, things like a glass about to break or someone about to put a sledgehammer into a television set, things that kind of build up this anticipation within you, but then there's no release. So you never get to see the things shatter. You never get to see the things break. It's really, really unsatisfying. But Exactly, yeah. But, <laughs> but the experiment is... We tell them not to laugh because laughter is a form of energy release. Yeah. So when you when they when they watch these when we watch these videos and we're anticipating the thing breaking mm-hmm. but we don't get to see it, that anticipation stays within us. And I remember I what you know the first few times we did it like it just feels like it's right here in my chest just like you know like it it just, like I can't get it out and Yeah. For me anyway and and that's, you know, I've had my own experiences with anxiety, and I feel like that's a really, really good approximation of what anxiety feels like. So that, that experiment is just a safe way, sounds diabolical, but it's a safe way of feeling some tension or apprehension or anticipation, really, and not getting the release. And I think just like with the flight state, that there's this buildup of energy without the release of it, because there's no actual danger that we can run away from. I mean, maybe there is, but day to day, there's probably not any actual danger that someone's running away from, but they're identifying things as dangerous. So that that feeling of being keyed up or on edge is the experience of being in a flight fight state. The next symptom we're going into is being easily fatigued. Well, this makes sense as well. Like you're, if you're constantly on edge or keyed up, you're constantly tense and ready for danger like that's that sounds pretty draining that sounds pretty fatiguing and i think uh something i've heard of it from in from my clients is that they're 
just exhausted with life, you know. Uh, this, this is a common underlying emotion in therapy. It's just being exhausted. And I think part of that is if you're stuck in a flight fight state, that it's pretty darn draining. For sure. And I think both mentally and physically, because mentally, for obvious reasons, I think, you know, you're you're just ruminating and perseverating all day long, thinking, thinking, thinking. But also physically, because when your muscles are tense and, and you're just walking through the day that way, that that tires you out physically. So it's it's extra exhausting, I think. The third symptom we're going to talk about is difficulty concentrating or mind going blank. In the flight fight state, in the flight sympathetic energy, you are ready for danger. You're scanning the environment. It's hard to focus on one thing that is not even like not dangerous. It's hard to focus and be present on one thing at a time. It's easy to focus on something that we perceive as dangerous, though. We can really kind of even hyper-focus and really kind of like narrow in on that thing that we perceive as dangerous. But when we're in the sympathetic flight place, I think everything can seem like a potential danger. Everyone can seem like a potential danger and little things become big problems. So yeah, I can see there would be a difficulty with concentrating or even the mind going blank. I'm not sure what that means though. The mind going blank. I think it's a different form of not being able to concentrate because I think maybe it's not so much literally your mind going blank, but you're so focused on the one thing that nothing else, you know, you can't process other information. That's how I envision it. So right now I'm so focused on the test that I'm going to fail for sure that I can't even, Hmm. I can't answer your questions about other stuff kind of a thing. Oh, okay. I got you. I got like your mind's going, I got you. It's going blank except for the one thing you're hyper-focused on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm imagining someone just staring wide-eyed and just so in, like they're so wound up that they really are kind of like overwhelmed and going blank. Yeah, actually, well. have you? I, I've had that experience with clients where they're so wound up, they're so keyed up, if you will. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that um, that it literally does look like you know, I look at them and they won't make eye contact. Not, I don't want to say won't, but it, I can see that they're internally focused on something, and so they they're not making yeah. eye contact. And I'm talking to them, and and they make kind of vague eye contact when I try and like directly interact with them and and they're not I don't want to say that they're not there but I can see that they're they're thinking about some specific thing and there's no other mind space brain space for anything else all right symptom number four is irritability all right so you're on edge you're keyed up you have the bodily experience of being ready to run or escape but there is an inability to discharge the energy And I think I'm wondering if this actually might result in dropping further down the ladder. And irritability seems to me more like a mild fight state. Because I think like when I'm irritable, when people are irritable, don't we direct it outwards? Mm -hmm. For sure. It's no, yeah. Like, so to me, the irritability pieces might be more of a fight state. Like you're going down even further. But I can see why that would come along with anxiety. Because I think it's a mild fight state. I'm, I'm honing in on that i i'm seeing it as like a bridge to from flight to fight because irritability isn't quite anger you know it's not rage and rage is obviously like definitely living in fight state but yeah i see what you mean i think it's definitely moving towards the fight state because you're right at 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 grumpy state 
I don't call it irritable. I call it grumpy. I'm, I'm going to take it out on you, Justin, and others around me. I've never seen you do that. Never. Are you being sarcastic? No. No, oh, no. Well, I mean, I guess I'm, I see you at work usually. At work, so. you're perfectly pleasant, yeah. Oh. Sing-songy. <laughs> smiley. Laughy. <laughs> Ready for the next one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Symptom number five is muscle tension, which I think we kind of touched on already, but let's go further into it. Yeah, like you're ready to run, right? You're on guard. There's danger afoot. Don't know where, but it's out there somewhere. What we would think about that experiment, right? It's a foot. Think about that experiment we, we mentioned before that we do with our audience. Um, don't laugh, don't seek eye contact or escape from a mild distress and see how you feel. So a mild distress might be something like, you know, watching a video that is, or a movie that is uh, brings you down the ladder a little bit, right? But don't laugh. Don't do anything to like remedy the situation and see what happens to your muscles. They might get a little bit tense. Think of something that brings mild irritation or mild... Uh, anxiety like a sound or what someone does like chewing nails i was at uh at that i was at a cpr training yesterday there was a dude sucking on this lollipop <laughs> like i wouldn't believe mercedes it, it was across that's pretty gross the room and it was <laughs> the loudest thing and I, I i couldn't believe that this was happening to me he was like it, it was ridiculous. Like he was just slurping on the thing <laughs> in a class, a CPR class. Did I drop down into my flight state? Yeah. I was <laughs> absolutely, I was texting my wife, like, you're not going to believe this. And I was, I had to like, <laughs> I couldn't sit with it. But so at first I, I dropped down the ladder, but I remedied that by texting my wife and making a joke out of it. But, um, but you know, in those moments, let sit with it for a little bit and, and do your muscles get tense? Like I know in that moment, yeah, my muscles got, I was definitely tenser. It was sounded like he was slurping on a popsicle that was like rapidly melting. <laughs> so gross. I can't handle that. I can't handle the sound day. of people eating, but like not chewing, but like when they're chewing with their mouth open and you can just hear right. all the mashing. Oh. So next time, just sit with Gross. it. <laughs> you I can't can. leave. Mm-mm. You can't laugh. Just notice your mu- your muscle tension. It's funny because that's what I was thinking about as you were talking about your lollipop story. And like, I know I can, it's almost like I'm watching myself and I get like, I get real tense. And all I do is like hone in on that. Like as much as I hate it, then I can't hear anything else. I Like I... All I hear right. is the chewing with the mouth open yes. and like it gets louder and louder and it's not actually getting louder, but I'm so focused on it because that that's it's a danger. like all I can hear. Yeah, that was exactly what happened was he, he was doing that and I, I could not. And I was really into the training. Uh, EMTs are like the most fast nurses, EMTs, paramedics. They're the most fascinating people to listen to. They have the best stories. And I was really into it. And then that sound took me completely out of it. And I could not. I was not able to focus on anything but that noise. Last up, symptom number six, sleep disturbance. This makes sense to me. It really does. This is pretty obvious. If, you're, if your body is 
ready to run away from a danger, laying down to go to sleep is is that's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. That's gonna be quite a challenge. Immobilizing when you're in that state of flight fight, and you immobilize yourself by laying down, that in and of itself is a cue of danger. Uh, now you're open to the predator. Now you're you're uh, you're potentially open to more danger by laying down. And it, when you lay down to go to sleep, you lay down in the dark, which is another cue of danger as well. So sleep disturbances. Yeah, absolutely. The the neural platform of sympathetic flight energy is not for sleeping. That's for running. Generalized anxiety disorder is further defined in the DSM-5 as the anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Do you think being stuck in a flight sympathetic energy would cause one to have clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning? I mean, obviously, you know. Yeah. Duh. This is, it is a duh. How can it not? It cannot. Okay. The disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance, for example, drug abuse or a medication, or another medical condition, for example, hyperthyroidism. Yeah, so these things are not necessary for flight sympathetic arousal. Flight sympathetic arousal is a neurological platform, a neural platform. It doesn't need medication or whatever other things to cause it. It simply is it. Lastly, the disturbance is not better explained by another medical disorder. Yeah, I think it's the same thing as before, um, that it's simply a neural platform. We don't need another medical disorder to explain it or physiological effect of a substance or a medical condition. It just exists on its own. It's a primary, primary neural state. So, Mercedes, do you think that the generalized anxiety disorder of the DSM-5 uh, might have some uh, some similarities with flight sympathetic arousal of the polyvagal theory? I think yes. I think, think they so? do. Yeah. And you know what? On a on a slightly more serious, well, not serious. On a different note, I it's one of my own personal pet peeves when I hear people. Um, kind of talking down about generalized anxiety disorder like oh that's a you know a poo-poo diagnosis it's a it's a big thing have you not have you heard this like when people say something for example like generalized anxiety disorder is it's not a real thing people who are diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder are wimps or weenies or you know whatever whatever thing but i've experienced so i've had my own anxiety for a while and I don't know if it's big enough to call it generalized anxiety disorder, but I do know that I've worked with so many clients who have this and struggle with it. And it's so enormous in their lives. And, and there's nothing wimpy or weenie status about it. It's a huge thing to feel to feel anxious about everything. Yeah, well, see, it's, it's uh, definitely some serious stuff there. And I think the underlying sympathetic uh, flight energy that's no joke. Like it's it's, it's pretty not, intense stuff. Yeah, being stuck in that place, um, not enjoyable for anybody. No. Mm-hmm. The therapier content event number one is coming on February tenth. It's not too late. As you're, if you're hearing this, which you are, 
and you're a therapist or someone in the wellness space who creates content, you can join in. And basically the therapy or content event is something I'm hosting where um, I put out a question and ask our therapeers to answer it through their content. The first question is, is telling the trauma story necessary for treatment? So I'm answering that. I got it all written out, ready to publish on February 10th. And a number of other people have uh, expressed interest and are working on it. So the more the merrier. I think it's a really fun event and really good for uh, potential clients or people seeking therapy that are, are interested in whether or not they have to tell their trauma story and, and seeing what uh, licensed professionals and those in the space um, think about that. Very exciting. Yeah, it is. And I'm hoping to do more of those. We'll see how the first one goes. We have a super fan submission here. This is an email I think I got. It might have been a DM from Kristen. She says, hi, Justin. I'm a paramedic in Australia. She's probably got some great stories. Paramedics? Yeah, dude. I swear. I swear. Hi, Justin. I'm a paramedic in Australia, and I just want to let you know that your work really helped me today as I was assessed on practical scenarios by my seniors. I am just returning to work after four years family leave, and in parentheses it says, yes, we have good unpaid provisions here. And I needed to pass a number of assessments to regain my authority to practice. Your work gave me the skills to calm my nervous system prior and during what was a stressful simulated situation. So thank you. The knowledge you share in your podcast is changing lives across the world. Rainbow emoji, Kristen. That rainbow emoji is everything. I love hearing how this affects people. So please uh, let us know. Let Mercedes and I know uh, how this is affecting you in your day-to-day life. There's some wonderful things happening out there and we want to hear about every single one of them. I love hearing about them. In a row. In a row? <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have learned some new ways to connect with others or even with yourself. Bye. Bye. I should just do our own outro music. You said that in the last one, I think. Because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, if I met myself, I'd be like, shut up.